It's good to be with you this morning. Yeah, I, I don't know what I did to deserve um, to work with Bernard, um, but uh, we've worked together for, well, actually, I've known him longer than he's known Jenny. So, you see, I'm a persevering kind of guy. <laughs> uh, you know, I got a great word for the young people this morning. But they don't seem to be here, John. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your goodness. We do thank you you're a good God, that you're merciful, that you're gracious, that you're faithful, that you're all-powerful, that you're all-loving. It's an amazing fact that we know you personally the God of heaven and earth, the one who brought us into being, the one who gives us breath every day, we come to you as a loving father. You are a loving father. You took us from being orphaned to being sons. You took us from darkness into light. You took us from death to life. We thank you. And we want to honor you this morning as we look at your word. We ask you that we might learn from it, that we might take it seriously, that we might live it out, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word, that we wouldn't just sit and participate, uh, sorry, and, <laughs> and not participate, but we would totally participate in all that you've got for us, that we would take hold of our destiny. Take hold of that for which you have taken hold of us. Father, we pray that that might be more clear this morning at the end of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd like to look at the book of Daniel. Um, <laughs> the whole book, no. <laughs> We're just going to kind of dip in and out of the book of Daniel um, this morning uh, if I were to ask you, what are the main thoughts that come to mind when I talk about Daniel? This is not a rhetorical question. I am expecting answers. Okay? So, sorry? Lion's Den. Man of God. Other stories from the book of Daniel? The fiery furnace. You see, you know, Daniel actually has incredible stories in it, doesn't it? And they're all about how God incredibly delivers his people from the jaws of evil. Yes? So the main theme of Daniel would be what? Yeah, you see, that's what I thought. Some of you, some of you are thinking, sitting there thinking, there's a, quick, there's, a, there's a trick question here somewhere. Yeah, well, actually it is, because I thought that as well. I thought, you know, when I read the book of Daniel, it was all going to be about these incredible stories of deliverance. Well, God nudged me about, I don't know, about two or three years ago to start studying the lives of Daniel and Joseph. And uh, as I've studied them, I've become more and more aware that it's actually not about great acts of deliverance. Those are few and far between, actually. What it is, it's about persevering 
and learning to live in an evil and a corrupt generation. How do we live in such a generation? Daniel is really about how do we live in an environment of evil and corruption and not just live and survive, you know, waiting for that time of deliverance. You know, so many of us, I think, live like that. We live in that place where we uh, are really just, if I can just survive till the end, if I can just hang on, if I can just live and hang on, then God will come and deliver us. You know, the second coming will come or I'll die and go to heaven. And that's what it's all about. Can I just say to you, it's not. And if you read the lives of Joseph and Daniel, you'll find it really isn't anything like that. It's about how do we thrive in Babylon? How do we thrive and impact a nation that is evil and corrupt at its core? Now, nobody is going to disagree with me about Babylon being evil and corrupt at its core, are they? I hope not. It's true. And we live in days similar to that, don't we? How many of you despair of the country we live in sometimes? The political system that we have. The people who rule us. Yeah? Well, can I just say to you, we need to arise like Daniel. We need to arise like Joseph. We need to say, we are going to live in this nation, but we're not going to survive it. We're going to thrive in it. We're going to impact it, and we're going to change it. And we're going to bring glory to God in the midst of the darkness. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is upon you. Starts with, great darkness covers the earth. <laughs> One of the, it's an interesting book. I want to encourage you to read it. It's, uh, it's fascinating. It's a bit mad, particularly as you get to the end. There's all these kind of really weird things start to happen. But, you know, one of, the, one of the themes that emerges right away through the book of Daniel is to live in this kind of environment. We, le- we have to learn how to make good compromises. Let me say that again, because you're probably wouldn't expect that. <laughs> to live in this environment, we have to learn how to make good compromises. Now, most of us don't like the word compromise, do we? No. (laughs) For some of us, it's a dirty word. We can see it as weakness, the thin end of the wedge of liberalism, and all that's true, of course, or can be true. But actually, more often, it is about being discerning. It is about being wise. It's about knowing what battles we are to fight and when we are to fight them. Daniel had to make some really tough decisions as to what he participated in and what he avoided. What he made a stand against and what he didn't. And I think most of us wouldn't be too comfortable with some of the decisions 
that he made. So I'd like us to kind of review some of those decisions. So if we go to Daniel chapter 1, I'm just going to read it, make some comments as we go along. In the third year of the reign of the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered the king of Judah into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, in, and put them in the treasure house of his God. Now, just to note here, God is involved in bringing the people of God into exile. Okay, it's a sovereign act. We've sang it so many times this morning, haven't we? He is the king of glory, the king of kings. Come on, give me a bit of encouragement. He's the God of gods, right? He, he is the ruler of the nations, right? How many of us really believe it? Okay, why are we moaning then? Why do we say things like, well, what's going on in the world? What's our country coming to? Why did the Conservative Party get in? I might come back to that. <laughs> Some of you might be going, yay! <laughs> Some of us might not be. You know, but you see, God is in control. We have to see he is sovereign in what's going on in the world. We really need to see that. The great thing about Daniel is he did see that. So, verse 3. Then the king ordered <coughs> Ashpenaz. I love some of these names. Um, <laughs> chief of his court officials to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Michael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. See, Daniel already was showing his true character. He'd already gained favor. Now, he didn't gain favor by sulking around going, Oh, dear, this is terrible. We are in exile. He had a sense of God's purpose in this. <clears throat> but the official said to, told Daniel, verse 10, I am afraid of the Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the, chief, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Michal, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Now, again, Daniel is a great negotiator. He's not demanding it. He's not throwing a strop about it. He's learning how to negotiate in the midst of Babylon. Yeah? See, most of us, we don't know how to negotiate as Christians. We just think that we need to quote verses. Don't we? But God said, bang. I don't find Daniel saying that here. He doesn't bring God into the equation at all here, does he? You see, in, in the background, Daniel has total trust that if he negotiates a deal, God will bring it to pass. Doesn't he? <laughs> So, what do you got to? At the end of the 10 days, verse 15, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now, I want to tell you, there was something in, the, in it for the guard here. Who do you think got the food and the wine that they didn't eat and drink? See? You're not stupid, I tell you. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding in all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel had a lot of choices to make. There were lots of things happening to him at this point. The thing he decided to stand on was eating and drinking food. Now, we all, I know he's from a Jewish background and there's the whole kosher thing going on here as well, but there were so many other things that he could have made a stand on here. And actually, as Christians, we would probably be in that place with him. So many things that could have defiled him. For instance, he told, chose to stand on this food issue when they renamed him after the God of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, can you imagine if we suddenly were taken in somewhere and they renamed us Satan or Kali or Shiva or Muhammad? Yeah? You know, we well, you can't take that name. You know, we have problems with Muslim, with Muslim Christians calling God Allah, which is actually what it means. God. You know? See, we stand on things that God is not asking us to stand upon. We need to hear what, what will defile us. What is it that will defile us? 
I'm not sure many Christians would have liked his choices. And then in verse, in chapter 2, it gets even more interesting. I'm not going to read the whole of chapter 2, don't worry. Okay, it gets even more interesting. Let me summarize the story. Nebuchadnezzar has had a troubling night. He's had a dream and a vision that has really, really troubled him. And so it should. Okay? When you hear the interpretation later on, you think, yep, that should have troubled you. Should have kept you awake. So he calls all the astrologers, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, diviners to explain it to them. But he's determined that they're not going to give him a load of tosh. So he says, not only do I want to be the dream interpreted, I want you to tell me what the dream is. And I tell you, it is a complicated dream. Okay? So you can imagine all the astrologers go, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> That's not fair. So then he, then, he, then he really puts the pressure. He says, if you cannot do this, I am going to put to death every astrologer, every diviner, every magician, every wise man, every sorcerer in the whole of my kingdom. Well, it turns out they couldn't. So he calls his guard. He says, go and kill them all. Now, actually, it's not the wisest thing to do, is it? To kill all your wise men and all the people you have to take counsel for. It's not the wisest thing in the world to do. I don't think Neb was really, really the sharpest tool in the, in, in, in the toolkit here. But, but nevertheless, that's what he ordered them to do. So they start rounding them all up, ready to have a mass execution. Interesting. They get to Daniel's house. Hang on a minute. Why are they gone to Daniel's house? Huh? He's a wise person. He is counted amongst the magicians and the sorcerers and the diviners and... Wait a minute. That's a bit weird, isn't it? How many of us say, you know, John introduced me as having a prophetic ministry. You know, that's kind of doing this, some of that kind of stuff. That's how the world would see it. How happy would I be of somebody saying, let's go and get the sorcerer from down the road. Let's get the magician to come in. I don't think I'd be very pleased with that. But Daniel, it didn't seem to bother Daniel. Interesting, right? Isn't that interesting? What's interesting as well is that he was counted among them. Why? He had been taught all the literature and languages of Babylon, which included their dark arts. He'd been trained, he'd had a class in it. Hmm. Not only that, he'd actually been found to be really good at it. Now, you see, the Bible's really clear that Daniel had been taught and allowed by God to have that information. Daniel knew that. So he wasn't worried. He knew where the source was coming from, and he could point to that source. He didn't care where anybody else thought it was coming from. He would make it clear that it wasn't. Now, it's just trying to understand what I'm trying to say. He compromised, really, though, didn't he? He's made a compromise here. He could have stood up and gone, hey, 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 I'm not being called one of those magician people. I'm not one of those. You know, I'm a prophet of the living God. He didn't, didn't do any of that. 
He said, no, I'm willing to go along with this because actually it's going to get me to the place where God wants me to be. I think he probably asked God about it, didn't he? Yeah? Do you think so? Probably. I, I think he did. You know, I think, I think he was a good guy in that kind of way. So anyway, Daniel negotiates again. He negotiates with the commander who's come to gather him up to put him to death. said, wait, this isn't quite fair. I, I haven't had a chance to do that yet. Take me to the king. He then goes to the king and he negotiates with the king. He negotiates to get time to think about it. Can I think about this before you kill me? Because I haven't had a chance to. So he obviously wasn't in the main guy. He wasn't one of the main guys at this point, you know. So, you know, what's interesting, all the other wise men, magicians, sorcerers, diviners, all, all those guys, they'd all tried to negotiate with the king and it hadn't worked. But Daniel, he had that ability. You know, in, when, it, when he's talking about the commander, he says, with tact and wisdom. You know, I wish as believers we could be much more tactful and wise about how we approach certain things. Anyway, next. <laughs> God, get, God, Nebuchadnezzar gives him some time. So what does he do? He goes home and he gets the other three guys in the house. He says, we are in real trouble and we need to plead with the God of heaven to reveal this mystery to us. Halfway through the night, Daniel has a dream and a vision. He gets the whole thing. He knows what's up. They have a big praise party. Then they go to the king. You know, I mean, it's, it's great. As you read, read it through, it's fantastic. You know, they plead with God. They get the answer. They praise God. They don't just run off. You know, I think at that point, I might have just run to the king and thought, let's get there before he changes his mind because he's, he's not that stable, you know. But no, no, no. They decide, well, the first thing we've got to do is give God all the glory. Give God the praise. So they go to the king. <coughs> Excuse me. They go to the king and um, they start to talk about, or Daniel starts to talk about what happens. So verse 26, 28. Somewhere around here. The king says to Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream? And Daniel replied this. What, a, what an incredible statement this is. He says, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. <laughs> okay? Now, what does he do? He's, now, he is included in that. He's not, you know, when I, when I used to read this, I used to think he's going, well, they couldn't tell you, king, but I can. But actually, that's not what he's saying at all, is it? But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. You see, this is the place to stand on where it comes from. This is the place to stand on the source. When the king can go, wow, yeah, you're right. Nobody else has been able to tell me that. But the God of heaven can. Wonderful, isn't it? Can I just say as well, no wise man was killed. You know? 
There was no sorcerer in Babylon that was killed over this issue. And that's partly because Daniel asked for them not to be. He says, do not kill anyone. Let me go and find out. Now, he could have, when he, does, when, you know, when he brought the revelation, he could have said to the king, well, all those other duffers, you can just get rid of, can't you? Because what good are they to you? But he didn't. Because he wanted to affect them all with the mercy and the grace and the love of God. Even although they turned out to have a lot of them to be his enemies, he still loved them. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, then that, does that sound familiar? Yeah, it sounds familiar to me as well. So he tells him his complicated dream. Then he gives them the interpretation, which actually wasn't that positive. It was all about his kingdom falling. And, you know, it's, he wasn't that positive. <laughs> and, then, and then we get this incredible scene in uh, verse 46. It says, Then Nebuch- King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering, an incense, be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Wow. You see? Wow. (laughs) And then uh, he goes on. Verse 48, the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. There's influence. Can I I just say, he wasn't afraid to take the gifts either. Did you notice that? You know, I think, I think a lot of us as Christians, we go, oh, no, we can't do that. You know, we can't take the gifts. No, there are other times when Daniel doesn't. But I think, you know, it's when God tells him not to take them, he doesn't take them. And he takes them when God's kind of silent on the matter. <laughs> also, he wasn't afraid to get his mates some jobs. Now, it's not just he wanted to give his mate a job. He knew they were the best people for that job because they would influence the kingdom of God there. But again, I think sometimes we're afraid, aren't we? Now, there can be lots of reasons we're afraid to bring our Christian friends into into things. You know, some of them... It's just good to keep them out, and that's a wise thing. <laughs> but sometimes we just don't, we, oh, it's not right for us to push. Yes, it is. That's why God put you in a place of influence. Yeah, come on. We've got to see God's sovereignty. We either believe God's in control, and he does these things for us, or with us, or we believe we've done it ourselves. That's the only other option. Or it's some kind of fate. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, in chapter 3, we have the incident of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown in the fiery furnace because they won't bow down to this idol. 
it seems that Daniel had gone underground at this point. It's kind of interesting, though, isn't it? That Daniel wasn't in there. I'm sure he didn't bow down to the idol, though. But where was he? He probably went on a retreat. Hey, King, I, I need to go on a retreat, you know. I need to get out there and, you know, just make sure these magician powers keep going. He's talking in their language, okay? Yeah? That's probably a little bit too much of a stretch, but... <laughs> but, you know, you've got to use your imagination when you read the Bible. That's what God gives you it for, you know? <clears throat> so, anyway, I won't go into that, but again, you know, you, you, you know they, they, they had a sense, all four of them seemed to have a sense of what to stand on and what not to stand on, what to compromise on and what not to compromise on, when to negotiate and when to just say, no, this is no good. Bowing to an idol of you is not going to happen. Okay? It's not going to happen. But sitting in a class about the dark arts of Babylon, well, that's okay. (laughs) I'm being provocative. Deliberately, but that's what happened. <clears throat> if we then move to chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. He calls all the magicians, astrologers, enchanters, sorcerers, diviners, and they all come, but none of them can, t- can interpret it. So verse 8. Finally, Daniel came into my presence. This is Nebuchadnezzar giving, giving the, um, the, the commentary here. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the, ho- of the holy gods is in him. <clears throat> I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians. Whoa, hang on a minute. He's now chief of the magicians. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite fascinating, isn't it? He's now chief of the magicians. He doesn't seem to go, whoa, 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 God. I, you know, Neb, how many times have I told you not to call me a magician, but to call me a prophet of the most holy God? I, that, that isn't even in his thinking at this point. He say, no, God has put me in this place for such a time as this. For this purpose, to bring goodness to this nation. Even a nation that I'm exiled to. Even a nation that is corrupt at its core. Even a a nation who has a king who is a little bit loopy. Hmm. He then goes on to interpret a dream which is an even worse dream than the first. It basically tells Nebuchadnezzar he's going to go mental. Okay? He's going to get separated from the people. He's going to... Be like an animal grazing grass and eating grass for a number of years. And then he will come to his senses, bow down to the most holy God, and then come back. That's basic. That's that's the basic. Now, you know, I don't think any of the other magicians, sorcerers, would have ever brought that dream to to Nebuchadnezzar. They just would have, no, no, that ain't going to (laughs) happen. And it all comes true. There are many more examples as you read through the whole book and you find similar things in the life of Joseph. So what am I trying to get at this morning? You know, I'm not encouraging. I just want to say this up front before somebody goes and does this and I get into trouble for it, okay? I am not saying that you should now go and sign up for the, at your local college for your, you know, the witchcraft <laughs> seminar, 
which actually, if you go to your local community college, there are probably at least two or three of those going on, by the way. Okay? Why aren't we going and saying, well, let's run a course on the prophetic? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? We all witches do it. Why don't we go and do it? By the by. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I've tried to show that Daniel obviously had to make some tough calls in regard to what he participated in and what he avoided. If we go back and we were flies on the wall, many of us that are caught in a kind of fear-based faith wouldn't agree with a lot of things that Daniel did. We wouldn't see it that way. You know, many of us are caught in a fear-based faith. Now, none of you in this room now are going, yep, that's me. All of us are going, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's true. Wonder is Ian. <laughs> we don't see it that way, but the reality is how we approach God and live our lives has this fear to it. It's a fear-based that misses God who looks at our heart. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God looks at your heart more than he looks at your deeds? So when we do things, and our heart is to serve God, but we kind of miss it. How many of you have done that? Yeah? Believe things that are not so good to believe sometimes? Suddenly realize, why did I ever believe that? See, sometimes we're so fearful of God. I just want to say that again. We're so fearful of God, and it's not the right kind of fear. I know, the Bible tells us, fear God. Yeah? But it's not this kind of fear. It tends to see God as an angry God looking for reasons to nail them. It tends to forget that Jesus was nailed to the cross for our benefit. He's looking for reasons. He's not looking for reasons to punish us. He's not looking for reasons to punish us. He's looking for reasons to bless us. How many of you really, really believe that God is looking for reasons to bless you this morning? (laughs) There aren't many of you. (laughs) You know, seriously. He's not looking for reasons to nail you. He doesn't want you to get it wrong. He's not standing there thinking, right, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for them to get it wrong. Come on. Come on, I know you're going to do it. Gotcha. Why would he do that? He knows that we're going to get it wrong. <laughs> how, many, how many of you think God is surprised when you get it wrong? I mean, I'm not even surprised when I get it wrong. He values mercy over sacrifice. When it comes to navigating tough calls of life, fear-based faith is terrified of making a mistake. Therefore, it stops them from doing what God wants them to do. Or 
They spend so much time making sure they do it the right way, they say the right words, that they miss the opportunity. That's why it is we have all those extra rules and boundaries so often. It's convinced that any accidental misstep or compromise will be dealt with harshly rather than with mercy. You see, we have this idea that God deals merciful with our sin when we first come to him, but then he deals harshly with our sin after, after we've come to him. Now, that, I, know, I know that sounds mad, doesn't it? So, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, no, it doesn't. But so many of us live like that. Therefore, when we sin, we spend ages not going to him because we're afraid to. Right? Which just gets us into more trouble. Daniel didn't seem to worry about what he didn't know. He worried about obeying what he did know. In situations where God had spoken clearly, he did what God said. In those areas where it seemed less clear, he, did, he, he seems to do what he thinks best. Which probably has a 50-50 <laughs> success rate. He understood there are some areas where God isn't so concerned with what path we choose, but how we walk the path. Let me just say that again. He realized and understood there are some areas where God isn't so concerned with what path we choose. He cares how we walk the path. Daniel understood that it was God who had put him there in Babylon. It was God who has given him his place of influence and it was for God's glory he knew his source, he knew who his source was, and he knew where he lived from. He needed above all to keep his heart clean and ruthlessly obey the clear revelation that God had given him and do his best with the rest. And then trust God to be good. Because God is always good, right? God is always loving, right? God is always loving. Do we really believe that? He's always loving. Always. As I was thinking about coming down, I I just felt I should bring this. But I just just want to prophesy over you guys. You see, you, there's a a new anointing that's coming on the people of God in our country. And it's this anointing. It's this Daniel thing. It's not going to be about church. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. About church as we understand it now. Because church is about the people of God living together, covenanting together, loving God together, right? That's the church. You could do that without the, all of this, right? Not that this is wrong, but you could do it without all of this. Yes? Yeah, we could. Come. Okay? But I, I, I just really sense there's a, there's a new anointing of the Daniel Joseph substance coming and yet we're starting to see it but God commends you for pioneering it let me say that again because you need to hear this God commends you for pioneering it 
you guys have pioneered this kind of stuff. You've taken a lot of flack for it as well. The leadership here have probably taken a lot, I don't know this, but they probably have taken a lot of le- flack from some of you about it. Well, what are we doing? Why are we doing all this social stuff? Why are we running a social company? Why are we, all in- why are we involved with the politicians? Do you know what I mean? I'm sure. I'm sure some of you are, or some of you at least thought that question, because I thought it. When I first met John and he told me what he was doing, I said, oh, for a minute, that's interesting. <laughs> I probably actually said that, because I tend to think out loud. <laughs> God commends you for it. But I felt as we were worshipping this morning, to, to just prepare you for, there's a second wave coming. Okay. As I said that, I got shivers down my spine. I'm telling you, there is a second wave coming for you. There's a second wave of anointing coming to break into our nation at the highest levels for you, that will change the way education is done, that will change the, the way politics is done and deals are done. God's going to bring an anointing to you for that. It's a time of opportunity for you. And I know some of you are already sitting there going... I'm not sure I've got the energy for this. God says the anointing includes the resource. So do not say, I cannot do it. But rather say, God, give me the grace to do it. Give me the power to do it. Give me the wisdom to do it. And give us the resource to do it. Every resource that you need. Does that make sense? That kind of. Can we just stand a minute? I just sense that that it's. It'll change the face of how people think about things. You know, there used to be that um, (laughs) the you know full-time ministry was the pinnacle for a Christian. You know, well, you know, you hear me, people say this, well, we're all in full-time ministry, right? You all reach the pinnacle when you're at the place God wants you to be. Serving and giving and living what God wants you to live. So it's going to change the way you look at church. It's going to look, change the way in which you set priorities for each other in relationships. And some of you will be involved in that and some of you will be involved in this. But that's okay because we're a family together. Okay? Father, I just want to thank you for this body. I thank you for this expression of your body, the expression of your church at the heart of our nation. Father, I want to thank you for their obedience 
and their sacrifice. I want to thank you, Lord, for what they've pioneered. And Father, I prophesy into being the second wave right now. We speak it out that it might be created. We accept it, Lord God, that we might receive it. And we look forward to pursuing it. So, Lord, I just pray for each individual here this morning that they wouldn't feel left out. They wouldn't feel uh, that they're not part of it. They wouldn't feel that they haven't got what it takes. Whenever they're ministering, it is what you've called them to do. So bless them, Lord God, in that. In Jesus' name, amen.